Well, good morning and welcome back to part three in our current series, Above the Line. And like we've said every week so far, the whole reason we're doing this series is because you have, I have, we've all had those moments where we did that thing or we said that thing or that thing came out of us before we could stop ourselves, like our filter was just temporarily broken and it just came out and he said and she said before we could stop ourselves, we had said and we couldn't unsay it and they couldn't unhear it and we were just left feeling so ashamed and embarrassed or we've all had those moments where we became that guy that we said that we'd never be or that parent that we said we'd never be like and we're just left wondering at the end of those blow-ups and those breakdowns, we're left wondering, where did that come from? And our tendency is to blame it on our circumstances, on our emotions. You know, if he had never or if they had never, if you had never said or if you hadn't made me so angry, if they didn't make me feel so stressed and I never would have. And as a result of that, our solution for fixing these things tends to be to build better filters and work harder at suppressing those emotions. We filter and we suppress. And what we all know, because we've been alive long enough, is we know that doesn't work. And we know that because it hasn't worked. And so we started out this series asking the question, well, then how do we really change? Not just build better filters and suppress our emotions more effectively, but how do we really change? And what we found out was what Jesus said 2,000 years ago is that the reason those things come out of us, the reason those words, those actions, those emotions come out of us, the reason they come out of us is because they were in us to begin with. It's not because our boss was a jerk or our kids were disrespectful. It's because it was in us. It's because of our heart. Jesus said those things come from our heart or our internal condition. And so if we want to change the things that come out of us, if we want to manage those things so they don't end up managing us, then we have to learn how to guard our heart because our heart is what Solomon said was the wellspring of life. It's from our heart that our whole life flows from our internal condition. Our internal condition determines how you do, how I do, how we experience life and how we show up in our lives, how we engage in our lives, how we show up in our marriage and how we show up in our struggles and in our challenges and as parents. And it all comes and it all starts with the condition of our hearts. And so if we're going to learn how to guard our heart, then at any moment we should know the condition of our heart. And we said change starts with knowing the condition of our hearts. What is the condition of my heart in any moment? And as overwhelming as that sounds, Jesus indicated that it's simple, that it's binary, that either your heart is in a healthy condition or in an unhealthy condition. And we've been saying it this way, that at any point in time, your internal condition is either above or below the line, that when your internal condition is below the line, it's what Jesus would call an unhealthy heart. And what we know, because we've all experienced this, is that when we're below the line, we have this tendency to feel just more closed and more guarded. We become more defensive and self-protective. We become more reactive to the things and the people going on around us because internally we have this sense of tension. Internally we feel tense because somewhere in our environment we've detected there's some kind of threat. And at the bottom of all of this, at the bottom of this, this anger and the stress and the outburst and the reactivity, at the bottom of all of that is what we recognize 
is fear. That when we're in that state, we're in a fear-driven state. And it defines what comes out of us. But what Jesus did was Jesus came and invited us into a whole different experience of life, a different internal condition. And we, most of us have been here too. And in this condition, what Jesus would call a healthy heart, we tend to be more open. We tend to be more compassionate, compassionate with ourselves and with other people. We tend to be more curious instead of reacting to our circumstances. We're more curious about why this is happening or where this is coming from. And the reason is because internally we have this feeling of peace. We feel settled because at our core we feel safe. And this is what we'd call a love-governed internal condition. Our internal condition is either going to define, it's going to define how we experience and show up in our lives. And it's either going to come from a place of fear that is going to tend to breed or cause more fear in the people around us, or our internal condition is going to be set to a love-governed condition that's going to breed or produce love in the people around us. And it's when we're in this state, when we're in this state, that true life change happens, real authentic transformational development and movement towards our potential to be and experience and engage in our lives the way that God designed us to. So we ask the question next, well, when we find ourselves here, like we do, when we find ourselves here, how do we shift from here to here? And that's what we started talking about last week. And Paul told us that, first of all, if we find ourselves in this condition and we are engaging in things in our lives that we know that we have no business engaging in, whether we're engaging in behaviors or habits or relationships that we know we have no business being involved in, then the reason for this condition is because our conscience is trying to get our attention. That God has designed our conscience to be this internal alarm that goes off to say, hey, what you're doing is eventually going to hurt you or the people around you. So stop doing it. And until we stop doing it, it doesn't stop going off and we find ourselves in this condition. But when we've stopped, then Paul says the next thing is, if you want to transform your life, real life change, not just better filters and better suppression, real life change that comes from a healthy internal condition, that that kind of change starts with the renewing of our minds, we come to a clear understanding of what reality actually is. Because when we understand and see reality as it is, then we experience an in, the internal condition that God intended for us to experience. That when we see reality as God portrays it, when we see God as he is, when we see ourselves as we are, when we understand our circumstances and God's purposes and God's promises, when we see life through that lens, it completely transforms our internal condition. It frees us from fear and perfect love casts out Fear. And so that's why we read the Bible. That's why we come to church is so that we can develop that clarity of understanding about reality. And this is what a lot of us are doing and growing. That's why you're here. And a lot of us know this, you know, this is how we understand reality. And when it comes to questions about what God is like and what he created us to be and questions about his promises, we can get all of that right on a test. But still experience this. And the reason for that disconnect, the reason we can know this, but experience this, is because between here and here is what we actually think, moment 
to moment. That the way that we think and interpret our circumstances and the situations that we find ourselves in day to day, that what we think, the stories that we tell ourselves, the narratives that we tell ourselves, the way that we interpret our circumstances, it doesn't always match up with what we know about reality or what it is we say we know, the right answer on the test. You know, the one that we know isn't always the way that we think moment to moment. We said when we find ourselves in this condition, more often than not, it's because of a thought. Or when we find ourselves in that condition, it's because of our cognition or the way that we think, the stories that we're telling ourselves. And more often than not, when we're in this condition, more often than not, it's because of an inaccurate thought. That when we find ourselves below the line, it's because what we're thinking and telling ourselves in that moment doesn't line up with what we actually know to be true about reality. And so the way that we address this, the way that we address this is we see our lives as a ship. And from time to time, the ship sinks. And we said, when the ship sinks, it'll send off a flare and our bodies send off that flare. When we start to sink, it sends it off in feelings of tension or defensiveness or reactivity. It shows up in our emotions. Those are flares from our body letting us know we're going down. And we're meant, just like with a ship, to trace that flare back to the source. And when we trace those signals back to the source, the source is always a thought. And usually a thought that's not accurate, that doesn't line up with what we know to be true. And our job is to replace that thought. And when we do, when we do, we're changing the way that we see and perceive reality moment to moment. We're making our thoughts line up to know what, to line up with what we know is true about reality. And when we do that, we're literally, literally changing our brains. We are, every time you do that, you reinforce the neural pathways that are excited or that, are, that light up when you experience certain things. So you're reinforcing neural networks so that what you think matches up with what you know is true about reality. You're changing the physical structure of your brain so that more and more, the more you do this, the more what you think automatically in a situation lines up with what you know is true about reality. You're literally renewing your mind. And last week we talked about one of the most significant, potent, common uh, inaccurate thoughts that we tend to have moment to moment, day to day that drives us below the line. And that's the thought that our acceptance is on the line. That acceptance is something that we have to live for. That in order for us to be acceptable, in order for us to be worthy, in order for us to be valuable, there's some kind of standard that we have to live up to, that we're living for acceptance. And what we know is when we're in that condition, we're way below the line. And what we all know is that when we are most insecure, we are most dangerous, right? When we look back over our lives at the big blowups where we've really hurt people, more often than not, there were times when we were feeling the most insecure. When we're most insecure, we're most dangerous. And so Jesus invites us not to live for acceptance, but he came to show us that we are loved and accepted unconditionally and invites us to stop living for, but to live from 
acceptance. And what I appreciated was last week I had people stop me after the message and say, how does that apply in this situation? How does that apply in this situation? And if you didn't listen to the message last week, make sure to go back and look at that because that's foundational to what we're going to be talking about from, from here through tomorrow or next Sunday at the end of the series. So go back and watch that. But people were like, you know, how does that apply to this situation or this situation? And my answer to them was it doesn't. And the good news is that didn't, what I talked about last week didn't apply to a lot of those situations, but the good news is what we're talking about this week does apply to those situations. So if you walked away last week thinking, I don't know how this applies to these situations where I found myself below the line, chances are this week will. Because this week, the thought that's inaccurate that we're gonna be talking about is when what I want is on the line, when what I want is on the line. And where this comes from is anytime we step into a relationship at any level, whether it's a relationship with other drivers on the road, or if it's an interaction with somebody who's in customer service, or it's a dating relationship, or it's a friendship, or it's a marriage, anytime we enter into a relationship at any level, we bring into that relationship expectations. There's something that we expect. You know, when we, you know, get on the road, we expect other drivers to drive carefully. When we engage with someone in customer service, we expect them to be courteous. When we enter into a dating relationship, we expect that person to be honest with us. When we get married, we expect that person to be faithful to us. Whenever we walk into any relationship, we come with something that we expect. And behind what we expect is some kind of agreement. You know, whether it's explicit or implicit agreements. When we enter into that relationship, maybe there are things that we talked about that we agreed to up front. You know, you entered into marriage and you made vows and you made promises to each other. Maybe you had conversations before you started dating about what you expected from each other. And sometimes those agreements are implicit agreements that we just assume, that we assume by, you know, just by the mere fact of being in this relationship, there are things that we are agreeing to here. We never talked about them, but we just agreed to. And behind those agreements, you know, essentially what they are, it's what we feel owed in the relationship, you know? If we're dating, then, then you owe me honesty. If we're married, then you owe me faithfulness. If we're, you know, friends, then you owe me some kind of reciprocation in our friendship. There's something that we feel owed. And the problem isn't, the problem isn't what we expect. As long as you don't have expectations, they're just wildly unreasonable. The problem isn't what we expect. What we all know is the problem is when what we expect isn't what we expect get, right? When there's a delta or a difference between what we expect and what we actually get, right? You called customer service about the warranty and you expected them to be respectful, but instead, you know, they were, or, you know, you got into that dating relationship and you expected that she would, but instead she, or like when you became a parent and you had kids and you expected that they would never, but then they did, or when you got married and you thought that he would never, and then he did, you know? The problem is when what we expect isn't what we get. And the result is when what we expect isn't what we get, then on our side, there's what we owed. And on the other side is a debt, right? There's something that you owed me, 
You owed it to me to be courteous. You owed it to me to be respectful. You owed it to me to be faithful. You owed it to me and you didn't do it and now there's a debt. And anytime in any relationship, there's something that I feel like I was owed that I didn't get, that the other person won't give to me, refuses to give for me or is withholding from me. Anytime there's a debt that I feel obligated to collect. And the way that we collect on that debt, there are a lot of different ways, but one way is through retaliation, you know, if you're going to talk to me that way, then I'm going to talk to you that way. And we'll see how you like it. Maybe you'll change then. We retaliate or we power up. You know, you won't respect me. Oh, well, you better respect me. And we power up. But I'll show you why you better respect me. Or we, if we don't power up, maybe we wall up. Like, I can't believe you said that to me. I can't believe you didn't do this or you did that. And so I'm going to close myself off relationally from you. I'm going to put you out until you decide to change the way you're doing that. We wall up or, or we just hold on to our anger and our bitterness. And we say, I will never, ever, ever forgive you for that. And every opportunity I have, I am going to remind you of that. You know, anytime there's a debt, we feel obligated to collect in order to change the other person's behavior or make them pay for their behavior. Because underneath all of it, there's something that you owe me. You owe me. And what I want is on the line. And maybe this didn't come from something that you felt owed by somebody. Maybe this is the result of something that you thought somebody would never take from you, and they did. They took advantage of you, and they took your dignity. They took your self-esteem. They took your childhood. They took 20 years of your life, and you never expected that somebody would take that from you. And now, because they've taken it, they owe you. And of course they do. Of course they owe you. Of course he owes you. Of course she owes you. Because she promised, and he said that he would, and he vowed, and they agreed. Of course they owe you. I get it. I get it. I get it. But eventually, eventually we have to ask ourselves the question. Eventually we have to ask not what is right and fair, but how long am I willing to stay there? Because eventually, eventually, what is in me, this that is in me, is going to contaminate my experience of life. And this that is in me is going to come out of me. And it's going to hurt the people that I love that had nothing to do with my hurt. So how long are we going to be willing to stay there? And if we find ourselves there, if you find yourself there, or you find yourself here more often than you'd like to, then how do we shift? And this is where, if the Apostle Paul were here, he'd just kind of <clears throat> put his hand up and be like, I have an idea. And we'd say, great, Apostle Paul, great, because you met with and talked with the resurrected Jesus face-to-face -face and learned from him and became instrumental in spreading Christianity throughout the Mediterranean world. We would love to hear your perspective on this and love him. We would invite him up here on the stage and say, speak into our circumstances right now and tell us, what do we do when we're here? What do we do with this? So that this that's in us doesn't come out of us. What do we do? 
And you're thinking somebody's gonna come out. Nobody's coming out here because Paul already addressed this 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, Paul wrote a letter to followers of Jesus in Rome and addresses exactly this and says exactly what he would say to us if he were here this morning. And what he says is this. He says, let no debt remain outstanding. To which we say, Fantastic, because that's what we're all about. We got a debt that somebody owes us that we're trying to figure out how to collect. Give me something medieval. How do we get it? And Paul says, "Uh uh-uh. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. That the only debt we should be concerned with is not the respect that he owes me or not the courtesy that they owe me. It's not the gratitude that they owe me. The only debt that we should be concerned about is not what he owes or they owe me. The only debt, the only debt that we should be concerned about is whose? Ours, ours, to which we say, but I don't have a debt. They have a debt. I didn't do anything wrong. I came through on my side of the agreement. I came through on my side of the vows. I fulfilled what I said I was gonna do. I don't owe them anything. They were the ones who fell through. They were the ones who didn't give me what they owed me. They're the ones who have the debt. And Paul would say, that's not how love works. To which we would say, well, then what's the point? And Paul would say, the point is that forever loves others has fulfilled the law that when we love others, it fulfills all of God's requirements for us, that all of God's expectations for you and all of God's expectations for me are fulfilled when we do one thing, when we love one another, that the whole purpose and reason for your life and mine is that we would learn how to love others, that that is the whole idea. And that's God's design protocol for life, that this is how life was meant to work when we all roger up to loving others fully and completely and see it as a one-way street, not as something that we get, but something as we give, that when everybody lives that way, life works the way that it was meant to. And we experience life the way that we were meant to. It's the design protocol for life. Everything that God has ever said is fulfilled in loving one another. And Paul here, Paul is reiterating the teachings of Jesus. And he would point back to 25 years before during Jesus' ministry, when Jesus talked about these things and he taught these things, Paul would say, I'm not making this up. I'm not just pulling this out of nowhere. This is exactly what Jesus talked about and that he passed on to me. In fact, in the conversation that Jesus had with his closest followers the night before his crucifixion, one of them who was sitting there, who was sitting right next to Jesus, one of his followers named John, who wrote this conversation down, who was listening so intently, just taking notes and you know, just thinking through it all. And after Jesus' death and resurrection, who wrote it all down, John, who was sitting there, recounts this conversation to us where Jesus is talking about this. The night before his crucifixion, the night before everything was about to change and his last talk before that moment with his disciples. And he's encouraging them. He's telling them, don't forget what I've commanded you. All the things that I've told you to do, all of it, don't forget to do these things. And then Jesus takes all of his teachings, all of everything that he's taught to his followers over the past three and a half years, he boils it all down to one thing to make it so simple they couldn't miss it if they tried. He says this, my command is this, Love each other 
how as I have loved you. Love each other. Guys, remember? Remember how I've loved you? Remember all these years that we've, we've been together? Remember how I've loved Love each other that way. And they're all nodding their heads saying, of course, we, of course we will. Of course we'll love each other that way. Yeah, you've set such a good example. And they're all smiling and grinning and thinking, of course we will. Of course we will. And Jesus is probably smiling and grinning too. And he's like, you have no idea. Because what Jesus is about to say, Jesus knew something that they didn't know. And what Jesus is about to say, they wouldn't understand in that moment. But within the next 24 hours would completely revolutionize their definition of love. Jesus goes on. He says this. Greater love, real love, has no one than this. To lay down one's life for one's friends. The perfect love, real love, the love that God came in the person of Jesus to demonstrate for us is a love that is unconditional and self-sacrificial. It is a love that says, how do I take the best of who I am and the best of what I have and leverage that to move you to the best of who you can be? It is the love that God demonstrated on the cross for us, that if he was willing to die for us, then he is for us to prove his goodness to us, that we would trust him and be won over, that we would see the goodness of his way of love, that we'd be won over to it, and that we would align ourselves and our lives with his way of love. That perfect love, perfect love is a one-way street. Perfect love never asks, what do you owe me, but what do I owe you? How do I take the best of what I have and who I am to move you to the best of who you can possibly be? Jesus says, this is love. And we say, that's not fair. And Jesus would say, I'm not telling you this because it's fair. The whole reason I'm saying this isn't because it's fair. The reason I'm telling you this is so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. See, I'm not telling you this to make you fair. I'm telling you this to make you free. Because as long as you hold on to this, I know it's not fair. I get it. But as long as you hold on to this, this is going to color the experience of your life. And it's going to contaminate the way that you show up in all of the other relationships in your life. And I created you for something better than that. Not to be fair. Love doesn't fight fair. I've created you to be free. And the only way that you can be free is to cancel the debt and stop seeking what you can get from others, but what you can do and give for others. But that's love. That's real love. And perfect love, perfect love casts out fear. And we know this, right? We know this. This isn't new. We've heard this before. This fits into our understanding of what reality actually is. But the problem is, it's not the way that we think moment to moment. And because of that, we sink. And so our goal, our goal is when we find ourselves down here, when we find ourselves on a sinking ship, 
We're going to pause, trace, and shift. And we talked about this last week. We're on a sinking ship when we find ourselves going below the line because our thoughts don't line up with what we know is true about life and reality. We're going to pause, trace, and shift. When we find ourselves below the line, we're going to take a pause. We're going to take a pause. Marked by a deep breath to get all that good, good oxygen into us that starts up our parasympathetic nervous system that lets our brain know we're safe. This is okay. Turn the alarms off. And that breath, just that simple act of taking a breath allows us to start to shift. We take that pause marked by a breath. We recognize we're below the line and we recognize that we are accepted there. That I'm below the line and God loves me here and I'm safe. And then we're gonna ask ourselves the exact same question that we asked ourselves last week. We're gonna ask ourselves, Am I willing to be accepted? Or how am I looking for acceptance right now? You know, we're going to find ourselves below the line in the presence of God. We're going to ask ourselves the question, how am I living for acceptance right now? We're going to clear that first. And if we find that we're living for acceptance in some way, some thought, some story that we're telling ourselves, we're going to then shift by saying, am I willing to be accepted just as I am right now? Am I willing to be accepted by my loving, gentle, heavenly Father, just as I am right now. And I'm gonna clear that thought first. Until that thought's cleared, I stay below the line. So am I willing to be accepted? The second thing we're gonna ask ourselves is the question from today. Is there something that I want from someone right now? So I'm in this place, I'm below the line, I feel the tension, I take the pause, recognize I'm in the presence of God, and I ask myself the question, is there something that I want? What is it that I want from someone right now. And maybe it's just respect. Maybe it's just courtesy. Maybe it's appreciation. What do I want from someone right now? And the way that we shift is we ask ourselves, am I willing to cancel the debt? And instead of wanting something from that person, am I willing to authentically want something for that person? To make that shift, am I willing to be authentically for this person just as they are right now. That's how we shift. And when we do that, we go from sitting across the table from someone, wanting something from them, and that person being the problem. When we become authentically for that person, we get up from our side of the table and we walk around to their side of the table. And what we want is not something from them, but we want something for them. And the problem, the problem isn't them. They're no longer the problem. Now, the problem is the problem. And I'm sitting with them, looking across the table at the problem. And the problem becomes the communication. The problem becomes the disrespect. The problem becomes the affair. And now we address it together, not because of what I want, from them, but because of what I want for them. And from this place, we can start to pray for them. From this place, we can start to connect with them and understand what they have going on and what they're struggling with and where they're coming from. And from this place, we can even hold them accountable for the problem. But it's not because of what we want from them, but because of what we want for them 
that we want to move them towards something better, that our motive is coming from love and that motive breeds love and response as opposed to that motive coming from fear that just breeds further fear and response. And even from their side of the table, even from their side of the table, wanting something for them, I can maintain the boundaries of our relationship, the boundaries that are necessary for us to have a healthy relationship. Not because I need it from them, but because the relationship is necessary for me to serve them and help them move towards their best. So I can maintain the boundaries in order to preserve the relationship. And in some few number of instances, it may even mean that from their side of the table, I have to end the relationship because perhaps I'm becoming in danger of enabling a behavior by continuing to be in the relationship, which is producing something worse and a worse outcome for that person. Or perhaps the relationship is so toxic that it's undermining my best and keeping me from being able to be someone who can move them towards theirs. So in a small fraction of relationships, it might mean that from that side of the table, the relationship has to end. But for most of us, most of the time, our goal is to shorten the timeline between when I sink because I feel like I'm owed to the time that I realize, no, it's not something that I want from you, but something I want for you. We want to shorten that timeline and shorten our timeline and our day-to-day -day interactions with the people in our lives. Last thing, if you are in an abusive relationship, God loves you. He cares for you, and he does not want that for you. And I want to encourage you to get in touch with Hartley House to get the resources, the counseling, and the encouragement that you need to leave that relationship. If you're in a marriage where you feel like you are owed too much and the debt is too great, that it cannot be fixed and it cannot be reconciled. Before you make any decisions, I want to encourage you to get in touch with the marriage and family ministry here at FCF Church. They are an amazing team of mentors that can coach you and guide you and help you through the best next steps for you. For the rest of us, our homework for this week is going to continue to be aware of whether we're above or below the line. And when we find ourselves sinking, to pause, trace, and shift, to take that pause, to trace it to the thought and ask ourselves, how am I living for acceptance right now? And what is it that I want from someone right now? And ask ourselves, are we willing to shift and be accepted just as we are and accept them just as they are? Because every time you do that, every time you do that, you are renewing your mind. You are lining up what you think with what you know is true about reality. And your mind is changing. And when you change your mind, you change your heart. And change always starts with the condition of our hearts. Will you guys pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for the love that you have for us, that you showed us in the person of Jesus, that you give us your very best even when we are at our very worst, that your love for us does not fight fair. And through that love, you invite us into our best that comes from learning to love just like you. 
And so we pray that your spirit would find freedom to work in us, to help us to make that shift. That we would no longer live in fear as captives to what we feel owed, that we would learn to love like you and that love would cast out fear. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.